The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Hello everybody and welcome back to Everybody's Dead Dave, our Red Dwarf review podcast with me, Adam Martin, and my co-host, Phil Hawkins. That's right, we are back to review another episode of the Red Dwarf series. We're on series four, episode five, Dimension Jump. We're almost, as Philip told me before we started recording, nearly halfway through the original run, which is crazy. I, 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 do you think, have I reached aficionado status yet? Or do I Absolutely, need to watch you more? get an official yes. uh, leather jacket, like rim, uh, not rim, <laughs> Lister style leather jacket with the badges on and yes. the, you know, the, the patches on and stuff. Yeah. One of which says Smeghead. Well, I was going to say, an official snakehead. I like it. So, uh, for anyone who's joining us for the first time, glad to have you here. Um, highly recommend you check out our earlier episodes. But if you are new, the premise is that me and Phil, each week, we go through every single episode of Red Dwarf. Uh, the crux being that um, I am a newcomer, as mentioned. This is the first time I'm going through the series in general. So, every episode we review, it's my first encounter. Whereas, Phil, you've been watching for... You've seen him a few more times than that over the years. Just, just so. once or twice, yeah. Just yes. once or twice. Once or yeah. twice since the 90s. <laughs> so, two completely different perspectives. And, yeah, as mentioned, we're on episode five of series four, Dimension Jump, which originally went out in the March of 1991, so just over 30 years ago. And the synopsis is Arnold Ace Rimmer is a dashing Daredevil test pilot from the Space Corps, and he's been assigned to test pilot a ship that can travel through dimensions so he can meet different versions of himself. He enters our dimension to meet Rimmer, who has gone on a fishing holiday with the rest of the crew. It's an interesting synopsis there, because um, he... Well, as a, well, we'll talk about the opening first. What did you think of this opening? Because it's quite different from everything we've had before, I guess, in terms of the setup. Yeah, well, first of all, we get the flashback, don't we? So sort of the, the sort of his childhood, Rimmer's childhood. He's mm. been once again bullied by his brothers and this time hung upside down as a swing. Mm. As a swing. Yeah. As a swing. Um, it was, it, you know, it was an interesting concept for the beginning of the episode. I thought that you know, it dovetailed nicely into what, you know, this sliding doors moment as, as they have become to be known because of the movie. Uh, where like one choice in your life could take you down two completely different paths. And this is that moment for Rimmer. Um, So it was an interesting, it was an interesting moment. I got to say, and and I feel bad about saying this because (laughs) I I think you'd probably know where I'm going, but the kid actor kind of ruins it a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't really, I mean... The, I thought, I mean, I could be wrong. his accent seemed to change halfway through the scene for one thing. Um, and yeah, it just wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, uh, I mean, like there there are some fantastic kid actors out there. So you yeah, we should, definitely shouldn't assume that like all any time you get a kid, you should expect it to be like this. Um, but it, but they are few and far in between, I think, at that age. No, it's hard. I mean, I, I think I'm a, I'm a bit more sympathetic now because... Uh, one of the jobs I do is I work with children in teaching them drama and musical theatre and it's given me a sort of whole new perspective on, you know, obviously like we have a certain degree of uh, 
what we expect. But then I've had to tell myself, it's like, you know, the, these guys are kids. They're like seven, eight, nine. You know, they don't, they're not necessarily going to see it the same way I do, you know, in my in my mid-20s. So, so I think I was a bit more, I did notice it, but I think in my head I was a bit like, oh, you know, he's a kid. He's, you know. Yeah, and I felt go, bad, a little go. bit bad about thinking that, but I just, it, it did stand out to me in the scene that it was quite, quite bad. I mean, this, this kid could have gone on to be a fantastic amazing actor in future life i mean yeah. look at look at daniel radcliffe i oh, yeah. he, daniel radcliffe in that first harry potter film i in fact all of the kids in that first harry potter film are quite they're quite difficult to watch you know the acting is yeah. quite wooden <laughs> in some yeah, places in that very hearts, first one yeah. but even by yeah. the second one like they'd improved massively and by the end i mean like they're all fantastic actors now as adults yeah, um, absolutely like top notch daniel radcliffe is a amazing actor uh, uh but and and look how so look how far people get so definitely don't judge any kids actors are like that don't judge their whole future careers based on a scene like this because no, absolutely knows? and i mean it is only for a scene before we of course dovetail into um uh, a, a space station of some kind and uh obviously seeing it was my first time quite a surprise seeing um you know just rimmer coming on with his long luscious hair and his big fur coat and you know, I'm like, what's what's going on? And then obviously he meets, uh, well, who he calls uh, Spanners, who's like, well, uh, Lister, uh, and all you know, all the leads again. And I'll just say about that that sequence, um, I loved seeing the main actors in all these like alternative roles. Like I loved seeing, uh, we mentioned it in our, I can't remember the title of the episode, but. I loved seeing Robert Llewellyn out of the Crichton mm. makeup again because I, th- I talked about in that episode. He's got a great actor's face. He's got a very expressive, like naturally expressive face. So um, loved seeing him in that makeup. Great, yeah. great to see Hattie Haybridge as like um, yes. out of the computer. I guess in, a in way. real life, in the in flesh, real life. yeah. Uh, literally, you know what she was proposing going to be even more uh, in the flesh. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> nicely done. Um, I, I have to. I did like that gag as well. Where, um, what was it? Um, I can't remember the punchline now, which is really bad. Where she ends by saying, "I resign." You know, he's like, "Oh, oh do you yes. want to do this," and he's like, "Oh, well, I'm busy," and he's like, "Oh, I resign." Right, I'll be right there. Like, no, because <laughs> he, he says he makes a, a point not to fraternize with um, with colleagues, it. so yes. she, re- she says she resigns. It <laughs> says, "Oh, yeah, it'll be." I don't know, just. That was that was more the timing, I think, for me. It was very like swift and snappy, and I was like, "That's a good gag. I like yep. that." And then they they pay off that gag because she says like, "Oh, I'll be waiting for you with something on me, some food item." Is it maple syrup? Me. Maple syrup. That's it. That's gonna yeah. be sticky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but then I like the fact that they that joke is then come back to again when we get the whatever I can't remember his name, but whatever character Robert Llewellyn is playing in this scene. I think it was Bongo. Uh, Bongo think, was it? Yeah. Who is his boss in this? And uh, he also proposes that they he meet does. in a room later on, and yeah. it will be covered in something. Uh, yeah. And uh, he politely declines and says he already has a uh, an arrangement. Uh, a Very date. politely. Very politely, yeah. of course. Um, and then I, I I love the moment where it again Bongo says. Would it make any difference if it was? Hummus. Hummus. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the thing that would sway it, what what particular condiment it is. Yeah. It's a it's a really good gag. It's a really good gag. And uh, and to be honest, because again, first timer, the these whole first few minutes, I started to think, right, is this the is this the episode? Are we just seeing like uh you know, what I thought it was mainly gonna be focused in this other dimension, and then maybe 
our dimension would pop in almost as like a cameo sort of thing, you know, because I was really getting into like yeah. all these alternative characters. Um, There's some great music it, in this scene as well. There um, is. Before, before we jump dimensions, because um, mm. it's it's very, it's it's a blatant ripoff of Top Gun music. Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> I'm was, amazed they didn't get sued, to be honest. It's so close to the Top and it, Gun it, music. His whole demeanor with like the aviators and the, the walking down and yeah, it's... Uh, it's very much that. Uh, I wrote it's Top Gun, but also I think a, a lot of this in this dimension feels very like Flash Gordon style. That very like, yeah. oh, not overacted, but like, you know, the very hammy, like traditional heroes, like, you know, very swish. He's got long flowing hair. He's uh, speaks like this, you know, I'm I'm the hero sort of thing. And the, the women like, oh, Ace, like, oh, we do... That very like old school Flash Gordon, but it works, you know. It, it, yeah, it, it and, and, and literally theme. every single character, at, like after he's walked off, goes, "What a guy!" Yeah, what a guy! Yeah, <laughs> and to be honest, when that became the recurring gag, I must admit, my first thought was like, "Oh, that's the recurring gag." But then when I thought about it, and like we're saying about the sort of Top Gun uh, Flash Gordon parallels, it made it more funny. Then, because I was like, "Yeah, it's a send up. They're just, you know, they're sending it up, and it it works. It works great." Um, but after um, Ace turns down Bongo because you know, and Hummus does not make a difference, um, he has to try out this new ship, which can supposedly jump dimensions. And Ace wants to find different versions of himself, even though there's. It's quite funny how he's like, "Oh, there's no return." He's like, "Right, yeah, I'm going." Like, <laughs> just that's just not a factor at all. He's like, "Yeah, whatever." So, um, and he flies off in his ship. And I must say. Great model work as always. Felt this felt very Jerry Anderson. Oh, it did. I I did think as it was as the ship was launching, I was thinking that does look like you know Thunderbird two launching from yeah from the uh, from Tracy Island there. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, we've always said in in this show that we always we've adored the model work in Red Dwarf. But yeah, I think it's the fact it was a launch sequence and all that. I was like, yeah, this is this is the best kind of Anderson stuff. And um, yeah, so he launches. Um, decides to jump to dimensions and we cut to our boys from the dwarf in our dimension and uh well they're, they're well lister and the cat are up to something aren't they phil it seems well to it's, it's lister and Crichton oh. initially oh sorry yes and Crichton, not the cat yes you're right uh, cat comes in like halfway well a bit into the scene hmm. um yeah they're they are they accidentally knock something over as they're sneaking out to go on a fishing trip without without rumor yeah which is uh, which doesn't go well because Rimmer wakes up and they have this whole discussion about how uh, Lister's trying to cover it. It's like, no, it's not that we didn't want you with us. I think it was your scene. Meanwhile, Cat's just got it in for him. You know, it's just like, no, we just genuinely didn't want you to come. And I noted down, Cat's always really had it in for him, hasn't he? Like, in, in just in the show in general. Yeah. Yeah. Lister's always been a bit more like he d- he doesn't really get on with him, but he kind of like feels a he little like, bit sorry for him as well. Yeah, I think. He tolerates him a bit. As yeah. Well. Even yeah. here, he's kind of trying to spare his feelings yeah. rather than yeah. just go, we just don't like you. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I just noticed that with Cat because I know he always like has the impost like goalpost head is a recurring one. But just in this scene, I was like, wow, Cat really just goes in on him pretty much. Um and on their journey to this ocean planet where there's apparently no fish, um, they are alerted that there is a wibbly wobbly swirly thing heading. I nearly said timey wimey then. Um, a wibbly wobbly swirly thing heading straight towards them. 
uh, which ten which leads to Ace's ship flying out, crashing with Starbug, and then having Starbug crash down on the ocean planet. Uh, Starbug, which was of the... course a purple alert. Oh yeah, not not dangerous enough to be a, a red alert. Just one what was it one step down from red, one step above blue. Yeah, sort of move. Some... So, yeah, sort of mauve colour. I like that. But yeah, I was like, Starbug must be the most resilient ship ever because the amount of times it's crashed, been like marooned, been nearly yeah, destroyed. Yeah, and sometimes it just seems like by the end of the episode that it, it looks like they just left it on planets. So they keep yeah, getting... I know there yeah. are at least two of them. So maybe yes. there's more. But um, I don't know how many they've got. Yeah, it just takes a beat uh, yeah. in that poor ship. It's a regenerating it just... ship. Regenerating shit. Well, it but clearly this... didn't help him in this episode. But no, yeah. but this crash yeah. is another example of some great model work um, mm. with the, mm. with the ship crashing into the the rocks and then the water and it. Yeah, another another lot of really good, really good stuff. Absolutely, there. some really really good work there. And um, because Ace hit the ship, he has to. He, he's a manners man. I caused the smash. Should apologize. Only manners. Bring around for another pass. He has to go in a. Make apologize, I suppose, for crashing into them. So he he gets down to the planet and meets uh, our boys from the dwarf, which is uh, quite odd for our Rimmer and even weirder for Ace because, of course, do you think he sort of, I guess, expects Rimmer to be obviously different but still very much, I guess, like him in many many ways. Yeah, and this is one of my like one of my favorite moments of this whole episode was the bit where he. Uh, keeps on like suggesting stuff and expecting Rimmer to be like him and then he doesn't like he's like can't hang around here chin wagging all day let's get this box up into the air shall we what's your plan on I haven't got one okay right well um, I suggest this the starboard engine is repairable but it's a two-man job any volunteers yeah, okay, count me in. I've got a window on my schedule this afternoon. Not so fast, Davy boy. You leapt in so quick you didn't give Arnie here a chance to speak. He was just about a volunteer, weren't you, one? Uh, no, I wasn't. <laughs> okay, well, um, let's get cracking, shall we, Dave? Uh, what's the starboard engine's thrust-to-input ratio on? What's that? Well, you, you can work it out. What's the uh, craft's inertia rating? I don't know. Well, what's the PSI? I don't know! <laughs> Okay, we'll work it out when we get there, shall we? And it really, it, you can see it really like sort of takes him back for a moment. He's like, oh, uh, yeah, right. Cause he, yeah, because he expects him to do it all. And I mean, props to Chris Barry, who once again has to take on double duty in this episode and essentially do two different characters. But what I admired about this scene was that imagine that getting that brief as him as an actor. It's like, see, you are playing two different characters, but they are the same character. It's the same character but two almost completely different facets. And I found he, he somehow managed to make Ace seem just like the Rimmer we know, but also make him completely different. Yeah. I thought, anyway, like, that's yeah, a hard I, job. That think, is. And there were some moments, I can't, I can't remember the exact lines, but there were some moments when I thought, that is kind of like a line Rimmer might say, but yeah. he'd just change the inflection on it slightly and everyone would think he was being... A complete dick while we said it but because of the way ace says it and who ace is and he's how he, he has this very quickly established this rapport with everyone mm. that same sort of line is taken like in a good way yeah 
No, exactly. It's, it's like I say, it's all about the inflections he uses, and it, uh, and again that sort of uh, classic sci-fi hero voice. Like you know, let's hey, let's. Apparently, go that voice. I'm in the IMDb trivia oh, no, no, section again. It, that voice is based on um, Sean Connery. Do you know what? There was one or two lines where he sounded like he was doing the you know the short the Sean Connery. You know, yeah. Like it was, uh, I did. I was like, oh, I should be like Sean Connery. So I'm glad the IMD. I'm glad that seemed to be the inspiration. But as always, IMDb can be edited by everyone. Take it with a grain of salt. But um, that is. <laughs> so you're saying it could it have been a viewer like me who thought, "Hey, that kind of sounds like Sean Connery." I'm. It could have been. It could have been. IMDb. There is no. There is no corroborating um, link. <laughs> well, to an article I mean, or anything. Well, there you go. But I mean, I will say, like, I mean, if you watch the episode, folks, that I say there are the, just listen for him. There's one or two lines where you're like, "Oh, that's a a Sean Connerism," if you wanna if you wanna call it that. Um, yeah, it's sort of an Americanized Sean Connery, isn't it? Yeah, he's got, he's even though that, he is like, British twang. still, because Rimmer is British, uh, and I'm, that didn't change. Um, yeah. It's kind of like that kind of American swaggering hero type. Yeah, that's where I feel it's like more of the Flash Gordon stuff, you know, that yeah. confident, um, I say swagger, like just, yeah, the, the classic American like sci-fi hero, I suppose. Um, what did you think of Ace's his catchphrase, uh, roast me a kipper, I'll be back in time for <laughs> breakfast? Because they, yeah. they use that quite a lot in this episode. Yeah, it's it's a, it's one of those quotes from the show that you might see on like fans t-shirts and stuff like that. It's it's. It has a whole life of its own. This phrase, yeah, <laughs> I like it, and I like yeah. the uh, the moment where, it, it, like, it's mostly used in the same way throughout the episode. But there is one moment where he's talking to Rimmer and he says, "Smoke me a kipper." Can you do that? <laughs> Be back for breakfast. No, it is a good catchphrase, and actually, one of my uh, well, a content there is a contender for my funniest moment in all of this, which I think I'll save to the end. Uh, but I should say it comes after. Um, Ace enlists Lister to help him fix the uh, help him fix Starbug, and all while this is going on, I've mentioned it yet. Uh, in the crash, Cat's been injured; his uh, leg's been injured, and it's not in a good way. Cat's getting very uh, delusional. He's seeing lots of different fabrics and items and fashion choices. And of <laughs> course, of course, this being Cat, oh yeah, the most pressing issue is the fact that the blood does not go with his outfit. <laughs> Absolutely not. But gangrene might, apparently. Gangrene might. He can make that work. Which is a, I like, I kind of like that. That was quite like a dark, uh, you know, nice dark joke there. Because obviously gangrene, for anyone knows, is is horrible. Would, you know, don't get gangrene if you can help it. Um, But yeah, it was a very clever use of of that, basically. So, um, but yeah, Cat's not doing very well. Though I've got to say, um, and I hate saying it, but you know, you got to be honest. uh, The delude, like the, I call it the delusional jokes Cat has. Um, because they sort of run from here pretty much until nearly the very end of the episode. Um, I'd, I'd, it didn't really work for me after like the first run of it, if that mm. makes sense. Like, yeah. The first time it's like, oh yeah, it's funny, because obviously we all know Kat's fashion obsessed, and of course he'd see various outfits or bits of clothing he'd find ideal, but... Yeah, I, d- I don't know, just as it went on, and especially towards the end when, when they were, like, getting back on Red Dwarf, I don't know what it was, it just it just wasn't working for me. I don't know about you, but... Yeah, I know what you mean. It, yeah, it kind of got a bit laboured in the end. Um, and, then, and in fact, that whole back half of the episode, once they got back, kind of felt a bit strange. But actually, before we get to that bit, mm. when... when um, 
ace in lists because we were we was you said ace in lists um uh listers help he and does, they yeah. go outside into the storm hmm. which is basically somebody clearly standing to the yeah. side of them of the set chucking a bucket of water over them <laughs> yep classic uh bbc way of doing things you, you love to see it there's <laughs> like yeah. this occasional bit of water comes splashing in their face like it's yeah. clearly clearly being thrown from a bucket yeah yeah and uh what what's that song he gets him to sing there's some it's a something skank i can't remember what it was oh i don't know um i found that quite funny as well although i must say like was it's implied that Ace's left arm is broken or like re- or damaged in a chat he has with Crichton. But I swear when he pulls Lister back up when he nearly falls, he uses his left arm. But it's never really uh. addressed. Because I saw it like when he falls, he grabs him with his left arm, and I thought, right, are we going to get a gag or something? He's like, oh, I'm going to have to let you go because it's my bad arm. But it's just sort, you know, they just sort of carry on, and it, it's a very minor detail. But I, I think my mind just thought, well. Because the way they'd mention it, you know, that one-on-one with Crichton, and Crichton's quite serious about it, I thought, right, are we going to get, you know, some sort of ramifications of this later on? So I thought maybe that was it, but it didn't... Well, that's nothing, just how guess, heroic really, he is. He'll use it, his broken arm Use that broken arm, which he stitches up himself towards the end, because mm. that's another one of his uh, his many talents. Yeah. Um, Rimmer's very, very jealous of, of this ace, obviously, oh, of because everyone loves him and nobody likes Rimmer. <laughs> Yeah. Um. He, he did seem to be like. Um. And I. I'm not too fussed about this because it is. It's because it's coming from Rimmer and it's basically framed as him, like as a negative thing. He makes some like vaguely homophobic sort of implications and yes. in, in it's like yes yeah uh, like oh he must be. I can't remember what the exact lines are, but... Uh, but yes, it, it's some kind of phrase which implies that in a negative yeah, way. Yeah, and he which keeps Crichton on about it. And like, on. Yeah. yeah, he does. And, and Crichton sort of challenges it. And we don't get to hear the full challenge, but it's it looks like he's going to, like, uh, basically point out that, like, he's you. So if you think that... <laughs> yeah. Would you have wanted to see a full challenge from Crichton? Or are you um, sort of happy with... The fact it gets sort of yeah yeah it gets sort of addressed briefly. That's I think that's fine. Mm. Uh, what do you think? Um, well, yeah, because I mean, like you say, when Crichton calls it out, you think right, okay. So he, like you say, he is challenging him on it, and where's this gonna go? But then of course, Ace comes back in, and the plot moves on. And I think what we what we get, I think it's one of those things. I'm happy with what's there, but it'd be cool as like you know a what if version, like or if they did film a continuation like what would that have been like would mm. it have been something real because it didn't need to be long i thought you know it could have been summed up in a few like you say a few lines it could have been summed up as a gag or or as more of a like a, you know serious like message sort of thing but i think as you say like with what's there it's not it's not bad it doesn't detract but yeah it's, it's just an interesting oh what if you know what if they did done this yeah. Instead. And and like I said, I'm not fussed about him making it because Rimmer is the bad guy in this situation. Yeah. And he's yeah. clearly and, and it kind of helps actually emphasize that that he like his jealousness, jealousness and pettiness goes so far that he'll just like just go there to that that point yeah. where he'll say sort of stuff like that. Yeah. But what's interesting when they are back on Red Dwarf and uh, Lister and Rimmer are chatting about. I guess just about Ace and what's going on, and you know, um, Rimmer suggests, "Ah, oh, but you know, how would you like it if um, 
you know, there was another Lister who was doing well and successful and all that. Um, and we get a nice little callback to the alternative um, Lister that we saw, with, who was with Kachansky and has uh, the two kids, which I think was, that was series two, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, Jim and Bexley. And mm. they, yeah, they, they kept the same names that they referenced. Yeah, Although Jim so... and Bexley ended up being the twins that he had with himself. With the female yes. version of himself, but obviously in another universe, he just likes the names. So obviously, so yeah. in another universe, he's married Kachansky and named his kids them, that as well. Absolutely, I just thought it was a nice. I mean, we've mentioned this before. It was just a nice little moment where the Red Dwarf team decide to just throw in a bit of continuity there that's actually happened in the show, and it and it works in this case because you know as soon as Rimmer said, "Oh, how would you like it if there was another Lister?" I'm, that is instantly what my mind thought of that episode because we've seen it um but as i say that that's when they're on red dwarf you mentioned earlier that you said that whole when they're back on the ship it feels a bit it feels a bit odd but odd and and just kind of like doesn't go anywhere there's 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 it's basically just him going that there's a bit of confrontation they have a little bit of discussion like the discussion that you just mentioned rimmer and lister and and then Ace decides, oh, you know, I can't stand that other me. I'm I'm off. Um, yeah. And then it ends. It kind of feels like it's missing a third act. Yeah, like there's not really, like you say, there's not any, because like once they get Cat back, again, he's, he's sort of um, fixed off screen uh, once they're back on Red Dwarf. Um, like maybe that could have been it. You know, it could have been the like something to save Cat, like the dramatic, you know, something like that. But yeah, yeah, there's no right. drama. They, no, this. they just sort of get back on. They have their chats, and then Ace is like, "Right, I'm done now." And then I think this would have that. benefited from being Red Dwarf's first proper two-part episode. Um, yeah, where I... you know they 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 have because they have the bit of tension on the ship where they have to get the ship back up, and then they can have all this stuff. And then if something had happened at the end, which had kept Ace there, but yeah. caused something that they would have to then he would have to help them with next week. Yeah. Um, that would have, I think that just would have made it so much, much yeah. better. I thought it could have been cool even, um, with the, with the whole alternative dimension, you've got these alternate characters. It would have been nice to have, excuse me, see them again. So like you say, a two part story could have lent to that, you know, maybe they find a miracle way where if Ace wanted to, he could return home or, or they end up, do you know what I mean? You could have utilized all that for a a two-parter but yeah as you say as it stands once they get back on red dwarf that's kind of it really for the like the bulk of the like the drama or or, or the general story because although i must admit like as ace goes we get like the whole top gun repeat you know he's got his aviators on uh but rimmer's planning a prank um he plans to drop a smoked kipper um at least i think that's what it was on his on his head using a using a scutter he's got a scutter involved and um, true to scutter form, doesn't work, does it? No. Did you think though that joke was like it was funny, but it was it was also a bit flat because they pull the string and yet literally nothing happens. But you don't even get like a shot of Rimmer's disappointment that it didn't happen. You just look, you get Ace looking at it, shaking his head, and that's it. Yeah, it like... again feels like it's something that was missing. Like I said, it could have been a reaction shot. I mean, the stereotypical thing, maybe it was too stereotypical, would be that uh, Rimmer goes underneath it and was like, what happened? And then it falls on him. But yeah, that is very, yeah. that admittedly would be very stereotypical. But even just like a reaction shot, just something else. Yeah. 
Because it just, yeah, it's an awkward cut. I mean, just on a, on a, I guess, personal comedy level, would you, did, like, did you want the kipper to fall on? Did you want it to work, the prank? Because I kind of no, did. Just as like a little, no. yeah. Okay. No, not particularly. No. Yeah. Well, that's fair enough. I don't know why. I just thought, oh, maybe it'll be funny to see. Because obviously Ace, the whole, I guess the whole idea is he is Mr. Perfect and it would have been cool just to... Just for a little moment, just for Rimmer to have his little, yeah, I've got my own back. But alas, didn't happen. Um, what we do get is a lovely final Star Wars-esque scroll. Uh, thankfully, not as fast as the series. I could read this one, um, <laughs> which basically explained that Ace went off to other dimensions and met many different Rimmers, uh, but none were as worthless uh, as the one he met on Red Dwarf. Uh, the search continues, I believe it says. Um, and I liked it, you know, even though, again, it's one of those endings where it does, it, as we said, it just sort of happens, you know, it's like, okay, that's the end. But I don't know, what did you, I like this sort of like Star Wars scroll conclusion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was okay. Yeah. yeah. And I will just say it's not the last time we will see Ace Rimmer. Oh, exciting. I know that's spoilers. slight spoilers, <laughs> but uh, it's no, more I'm excited. Tease. I'm excited. I, I did enjoy the character. So, it, you know, it's not a character that's like, oh, thank God I'll never see him again. That's that's exciting. I look forward to that. Yeah. Um, and as a final little treat, I guess, we get um, a random continuity announcement from Rimmer saying the, uh, what was it, the ham organ recital of the of the Scutters, who then proceed to play an organ arrangement of the closing theme. Yeah. Which I thought was charming, you know. Yeah. Yeah, just a bit a, different at the end there, isn't it? Yeah, just a quick... I was surprised, though, because, you know, you have the scroll and you're like, right, that's it. And then all of a sudden, you just got that shot of Red Dwarf and then Rimmer's like, ladies and gentlemen, it's Wednesday night. It's like, whoa, hang on, what's happening? Like, what's going on? Um, but no, I thought it was sweet. Uh, and yeah, in, in no great summation, that is the episode. That is... But I think, as we said, I think we both agree it's sort of really the main bulk of the story ends once they get back to red dwarf for the mm. for the last 10 minutes um or last five minutes uh yeah so with that in mind then um phil one of the things we do here is talk about our favorite characters in each episode um so who was yours it's ace isn't it obviously yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's very that, good that, and it was great seeing chris yeah. barry like do something get to do something different this whole episode came about apparently because uh, Chris Barry asked the writers, like he wanted to pay somebody heroic for a change because oh, okay. he, he was playing Rimmer. He was playing uh, the character of uh, in the British Empire, who was also yes. another sort of arrogant. And, and, so uh, and, so. and he said, according to this on IMDb, he said he was suffering from what he described as git overload. <laughs> <laughs> so he wanted to play somebody heroic oh. for a change. And he does. He does a really good job of doing creating this crafting this character that is you can tell is Rimmer but is just completely different as well absolutely I mean I couldn't agree more Ace is my favorite character as well just all the the Flash Gordon throwbacks the Top Gun inspired uh Sean Connery just the everything about is wonderfully like delightfully campy and cheesy but to the you know to the best homage and effect that the Red Dwarf team do so well um, I'm glad you said it's not the last time we see him because I'd love to see Ace again. Um, yeah, as you, I couldn't add much more to what you said there. Like props to Chris Barry, who again does a phenomenal job at character differentiation. He's certainly one of the strongest actors on the show, just from like an acting technique and perspective. Like the stuff he's been able to do in these four series has been outstanding, quite frankly. 
And the other main segment we do is our funniest moment, uh, which I don't think either of us have disclosed yet. So, Phil, what is your funniest moment from this episode? Uh, I had a few. I had a couple. And I, was, I still haven't entirely decided between them. We have mentioned both of them before. Um, so one was Ace asking Rimmer to do various things to, uh, you know, assuming, asking or assuming various things of him. And yeah. then he either can't or... Uh, doesn't want to because he's too scared doesn't want to yeah. risk himself yeah. and and just like ace's speechlessness at that mm. and just like oh he's really taken aback by it every single time so as he comes as he sort of slowly realizes this guy is not at all like me no because <laughs> <laughs> he, he starts off going like oh i assume rimmer here has a plan yeah. to get us out of this and he's like no no i don't no no <laughs> And and then the other one I had was the hummus. That that did make me laugh because it just I was it came out of nowhere. So yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just can I have both of them because I don't yeah, know which one I want to pick. Yeah, go on then. Let's have both. Let's have both. No, well, mate, what was yours? Mine. Uh, it was so it was from the scene. So it's just after Ace and Lister have come back from fixing the fixing the ship. And, you know, uh, Lister's singing his praises, you know, he's so good how he did this and he, he did it upside down. He did all this good stuff. And of course, Rimmer's not having any of this, like he can't stand it. And uh, he says several gags about the pair of them. But the one, I don't, the one that tickled me the most when he said, Ace and Skipper, you sound like a kid's TV series about a boy and his bush kangaroo. <laughs> Just because, I, I don't know what, I think it's because... Um, I, I, a lot of my early years I spent abroad growing up and one of the shows I watched was all of, uh, I think it was called Blinky Bill, which was oh, okay. about, which was about a koala, but it was an Australian cartoon. I thought so, you, you know, were going to say was... Skippy then. No, oh, not Skippy, Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. <laughs> not Skippy the Bush. I know what that is, but it wasn't that one. But Blinky Bill had basically all the animals were animals that originated or were mainly found in Australia, including bush kangaroos. So maybe it was that association because I actually watched a kids' TV show where there was a boy and a bush kangaroo. But I don't know. It, Chris Barry's delivery the and the fact I could picture it because, of course, Rimmer is literally like looking up to Ace being like, oh, you're so great. So, yeah, that one really tickled me. So that's my that's my winner this time around. And uh, finally, we always give it a scutter rating out of 10. So, Phil, how many out of 10 is this one getting? Ah, uh, well, see, I love the character of Ace, but I think the story itself has some, especially towards the back half, has some weaknesses. Yeah. There is there is the child acting as well, which is yeah. only one small scene. Um, but there are some various things which do bring it down a bit as well. So while Ace and everything about Ace, I love, um, and I love his interactions with the crew as a whole episode, I, I, I don't think I can give it more than a seven and a half. That's fair. That's fair enough. Seven and a half. Well, mine's a little bit higher. I've given it an eight. And um, like we've said constantly, um, it is very disappointing that uh, once they get back on Red Dwarf, the story does kind of just stop for the most part. But I think a lot of that for me is saved by Ace in this case, like his, because his character is so watchable and so enjoyable to watch. It kind of forgives the fact that there's not much movement with the story. But yeah, um, great jokes. Love the different dimension stuff. I wish there was more of it with the other lead actors as well, with these alternative characters. Um, really fun concept. And yeah, everyone's firing off on all cylinders. So yeah, it's an eight for me this time around. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. And that, folks, is Dimension Jump, uh, that episode of Red Dwarf. 
We're nearly at the end of Series 4, Phil. We've got one more episode to go. Um, yeah, so if you enjoyed this one, you should definitely tune in next week to get our Series 4 finale. But as mentioned at the start, if you need to catch up, all our episodes are available. You can listen to them on Spotify. Uh, and you can also watch them on YouTube if you are. It's on Phil's YouTube channel, which is Philip Hawkins. And you should definitely go and subscribe to Phil. Leave a like on the video. And also let us know your comments. It, we love hearing the feedback on the show. So anything uh, we can do to make it better, make it even more enjoyable, then cool. We'll do it. But Phil, where can the people find you? Well, you've already mentioned my YouTube channel. So uh, find me there, Philip Hawkins. Uh, I talk about Doctor Who and other sci-fi and geeky properties, things like the MCU, Star Trek, all sorts of things like that. And of course, this Red Dwarf podcast is up there as well. Um, we, as a show, have the our own Twitter account, which is mm-hmm. at All Dead Dave Pod, because everybody said Dave Pod was over the Twitter uh, character <laughs> limit. Never mind. Um, so, uh, yeah, check out the Twitter account for the show there as well. Awesome. And if you want to keep up with any of my work, you can find me on YouTube, which is Adam Martin with the Y. Uh, I also make stuff on Doctor Who as well as a bunch of other things too. And on Twitter, you can just follow me at Adam Martin AMTV for various ramblings and goings on. But yeah, thank you once again, folks. Thank you for joining us for Dimension Jump. And we'll be back next time with the Series 4 finale, which is titled Meltdown. And uh, as usual, I'm not looking ahead to any spoilers. It will be completely fresh for me. You can find all about that next week. But until that one... Um, hope you all have a good week. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. See you later.